0: The temperature is nice and warm in the Boiling Point podcast studio, so come on in, get cozy, and let's enjoy the conversation. We empower leaders through thoughtful discussions to positively impact our world. Our host, Dave Vale, founder and CEO of Vision Coaching, Inc., is highlighting how we can thrive in business communities. Our conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, and inspirational storytellers are shining a spotlight on empowerment. Joining Dave this week is our special guest host, David Savoy. Take it away, Dave and David.
1: I'm back with my guest co-host, David Savoy. Greg Hemmings is not here. He's doing something very cool right now. For people that don't know you, David, um, man, you're, you do a whole bunch of cool things, um, mm-hmm. such as run a construction company. Um, you are <clears throat> chair of... French Health Network Vitality, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. As of my first meeting is coming up in a few days, and see if uh, leadership learned into the private sector can help the public sector. uh, I don't know. uh, Think of things differently. And I'm also on the Conseil Economique du Nouveau Brunswick, also on the YPO board in Canada, which is a leadership organization. And uh, you know, father of three, and uh, husband, and brother, and. You know, all that fun like, stuff. Like,
1: wine, wine lover, uh, but there has to be lover. special types of wine.
2: Yeah.
1: And my story there is uh, showing up to a camp in Miramichi and I bought wine. I, I thought I was buying some high-end good wine and I brought it in and David said, put that back in your car. We'll drink real wine. <laughs> and he some wine. But so it, was like, But I brought you on to New Grapes. You never heard oh, of Oh, you <laughs> said <laughs> the
2: regular stuff that everybody you educated knows, me.
1: Right? Like yeah. I'm like a whole new guy now. Um, so, so uh, I mean, not on your level, but um, so if people that are watching this can, will see, notice we're wearing these really cool shirts. And I gotta put mine on, and they were just delivered to my house yesterday by our guest, the amazing Patrick Gordon. Mm-hmm. And um, and what it says on the front is "The War on Hunger Ends Now." Yeah. Um, Patrick, uh, we're just getting to know each other uh welcome to the podcast you have uh an amazing story um and and jean Vievre. I'd love to, to to have a link to a CBC article that was done recently and I hopefully that was you felt comfortable with that article I'm, I'm assuming you did Patrick oh,
3: Absolutely absolutely okay. yeah mm-hmm. very well done by CBC like oh. they knocked that one out of the park
1: Yeah the the title of it I have here is um uh finally the soldier he wanted to be and uh, yeah, and I, I've 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 shared it with a number of people, and what a story! Um, so you're a Saint John, New Brunswick boy, which is in Atlantic Canada, and yes, um, and you you have uh, you have quite a you, like maybe you can can you tell us a little well, tell us a little bit about who you are, and then let's jump into your story.
3: First, I just want to say thank you for having me here. It's it's an absolute honor that you guys uh, brought me on to be able to help support what uh, what we're doing right now. Um, So yeah, I'm Saint John native. I was born and raised here. Um, uh, Graduated from Saint John High in 2002. So I seen the towers get hit. Um, And then in my whole life, I wanted to be a soldier. Though my my grandfather was a World War II vet. Um, I just had that in me that you know that want to 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 serve and and do you know something greater than myself so then i you know i joined uh shortly thereafter graduation um and then uh, ended up ended up in edmonton alberta after i was done all my training um with the uh, lord Strathcona's horse Royal canadians uh it was a, a cavalry unit uh more specifically tanks uh, we had a small reconnaissance uh, division as well uh ended up there in uh late 2004 and um you know we were in afghanistan at that point uh our regiment had not sent any tanks uh, over we had sent a reconnaissance squadron over uh when we initially went into afghanistan to secure the airfield in kandahar um so we we didn't have uh, a, a lot going uh into the effort at that point It was more infantry battalions um and then uh in 2006 they uh we were and we were in the canadian military at this time a lot of people don't know us we were in the uh process of of of, of phasing tanks out we were going to uh, direct fire type mm. uh uh Anyway, type of thing. And uh, they were getting rid of the, uh, the tanks. They're going to mothball them. They, you know, they, their tanks are very expensive, especially for uh, you know small military like our, ours. Um, and then they decided, you know, we were taking uh, quite a big hit in Afghanistan and the armored vehicles that we had over there, the labs. Uh, they weren't uh, they weren't powerful enough to get to punch through uh, a lot of the mud huts that the Taliban were fighting us out of. So they they decided to bring in some tanks. Um, I believe the Dutch had them in another in Helmand province, and they were having some success with them. So uh, they yeah we, they uh, and I believe the Americans had a, a lot of their armor tied up in uh, Iraq at the time. So uh, yeah, they decided to bring tanks, and at the time we didn't have a lot of people. They'd stopped training people on tanks. I was very fortunate. As soon as I got to my unit, I got uh, a ta- uh, I went there as a tank driver. And as soon as I got there, I got uh, loaded on a tank gunner course. And when you get a, to become a gunner, you you get qualified basically the whole turret. Um, so then uh, they were like, they were scrambling for, for for guys that were qualified to. Hey, we're sending tanks to Afghanistan, and uh, like, Gordon, you're going. You got all the qualifications. I was like, oh, oh, okay. How, how <laughs> so- old
1: are you at this point, Patrick?
3: Uh, it would have been 2006. I was born in 1984,
1: so about 22. Wow! So you're just like so, really, you're just you're just you know entering. And, and,
3: and, I, and let me and let me tell you something right now. I'm 37 now and 22 years old. You're not an adult. You're no. you're, you're you're especially not, not not in the Canadian military and and the mentality that we had. Like
1: I I yeah, we were
3: very juvenile at the time. So I didn't really understand or grasp, I guess, the situation that I was about to embark on.
1: Well, and because you in the article you talk about like you know just. You know, like watching Commando and thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger and kind of, mm. you know, having an impression of what it would be. And then my get sense is you, you start slowly as you're as you're, you know, in Afghanistan and seeing what you saw and experiencing what you, it, it's it's different. It's I mean, and I have no idea what it's like. So maybe help us understand what is it? You know, what was your experience? It- for-
3: it, it was crazy. Like, to be quite honest with you, it's surreal. Like, uh, and I tell a lot of people, like, well, what was it like? It was like, well, if you watch Star Wars, it was like the planet, planet that's uh, hot, or not hot, uh, Tatooine, the one that's yeah. covered in dirt, dirt. It was just like that. Literally yeah. picture that as you be, it was, I, I couldn't believe it, to be quite honest. You know, especially being from the East Coast of Canada, mm-hmm. I really hadn't traveled a lot. Uh, I hadn't traveled at all, to be honest with you. I think I went to Florida once as a kid. Um, so it was a huge culture shock. Um, Not only the, the, I guess, the geographical side of it, but also, you know, the the people, you know, and uh, I I have uh, Arabic and and, um, uh, Mediterranean background. So I'm very dark, I have dark skin, hair. And uh, so a lot of them thought I could speak Arabic. So I continuously had uh You know the locals speaking to you in Arabic, and I was like, I don't, I'm not. Aslam alaikum. That's about as far as I could go with it. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a huge culture shock. And, and I said in my interview too uh, that people just don't, they don't get it here. They'll never understand it here, and how how lucky we are. And you know, mm-hmm. I watched your guys' podcast earlier and uh, uh, talk about privilege. Yes, we're, we're it's unreal how privileged we are here. We mm-hmm. we we can't even grasp it. And what we yeah. think is rights is not always rights. It's privilege in comparison yeah. to what the rest of the world has to endure. Yeah.
2: And I think half of the world is, is governed by a dictatorship or somebody that just dictates most of it, if not more than half. I don't know what the percentage is, but yeah, a quite a bit. Yeah. Much.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We're very fortunate in North America.
2: So question, because, you know, I'd like to We chat and Dave and I were lifelong learners and the army has so many great people, books, theories on leadership. And learning and, you know, uh, whether systems, processes, how to address problems and all that. My question to you is, for people that may be listening, what did you learn uh, after coming out of going to Afghanistan that you think everybody should learn as a life lesson? Whew.
3: Yeah. I'll tell you, I didn't, I, you know, to be honest with you, when I came out of there, I didn't, I didn't understand a lot. I didn't learn much because I came home with a lot of hatred in my heart. Um, I I had so much hatred in my heart when I came home. It, you know, um, because you, you don't understand, you know. It many years I have I I I let all that go now. I had to, or I would have never healed. Um, I would have never got to where I am now. I would have never been able to achieve what I'm achieving now had I not let it go. Um, I, and I didn't learn my lesson until a couple of years ago. And I and and it it's it's that we're not going to win anything in this world through violence. We're really not. It's it's through love. It's through compassion, it's through understanding, and it's about and it's and it's about equality, and it's about learning to treat everybody the same, and and knowing that we're not all born evenly, we're not all mm. born in on the same uh, you know uh, with the same opportunities. Not even here in Canada, you know, yeah. uh, from one side of the city compared to the other, you know, the opportunities and and what will happen to those kids versus the kids out here, you know, and and that's something I learned. Uh, and that I cherish. And I try to push in, uh, you know, the people around me to understand, because, you know, I can only tell them they'll never understand or feel it like I do. And uh, I guess that's one of the big things is, is to really understand how and, and and value what we have and, and, and just push love out into the world, you know, and, so, and, and, and no matter how dark it gets with this COVID that we got to continue to push love and and not fall into that negative narrative.
2: I have a question. I know Dave is going to jump in, so I, I just wanted to, to make sure Dave, I understand Dave it. So, to go ahead. so, so when Pink Dave, as Patrick called me, Green Dave, so so when you hit that bottom, what did you tell yourself to say? This doesn't work. I gotta turn this life around, or my mindset around, or what? What went through that? Some people may listen to and turn there.
3: Uh, well, first, I just want to say uh, September. I'm four years sober. So that was number one. That was number one. I had to get alcohol out of my life. And and, and if I wanna, if anybody out there is listening to this and is struggling, number one, you need to get alcohol. Alcohol, number one, alcohol is one of the leading cases of cancer, you know. Um, not to mention uh, the the destructive type stuff that it just just destroys your mind and and everything. So I, I found out, you know, I kept telling myself, I want to get out of this, I want to get out of this. I knew I was hurting and I was lying to myself, I was lying to everybody around me, and I I couldn't get out of. the the cycle. And it was a cycle. It would be, you know, you get drunk, do something fucking stupid and then wake up. "Ah, I just want, I don't want to do this. I want more for myself. And I just kept falling back into it and falling back into it. And I, I I was on, I was on, I was on top of a mountain, believe it or not. I was in Alberta. I was in, uh, I went to visit my best friend uh, in in Cochrane and we uh, were big hikers and we went out to a mountain. It was my first mountain. And I went out there to visit a friend of mine who was on his way to Mali and I was like, you know, at this time I was, I, I, I picked sobriety in September and i had fallen off a few times and I was like, you know what? I'm going to have a beer with them. I'm going to have a beer with them because I, I felt at that time, that's how friends celebrated things, right? That's how friends in, enjoyed each other's company was through alcohol. And I was like, I'm going to, you know, I may never see him again. And then I, when I got on top of this mountain, before I even seen this guy, I had an I don't know what it was, what came over me. I, at that moment, I decided that it was, there was not, no, I'm done. I'm done. There is no ticky tacking. You know, uh, I'm done. You know, if I sleep with a snake in my bed long enough, it's going to fucking bite me. I don't. I'm out. And then I decided that I needed to, re, to reinvent who I was, because not only did I think that alcohol was something I needed to be social, be a friend, be everything, the rest of the world thought it too. So, you know, especially being an East coaster, the first thing you think about when you're doing any sort of activity is like we got to go to the liquor store.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So that, that, that was a huge, uh, I guess, uh, obstacle for me to get around was learning how to be happy without the stuff that people think makes them happy.
1: I, you know, what's amazing as I'm listening to you, like, um, uh, my father was, he, uh, and he lives up in the Yukon and he follows CBC New Brunswick and he shared your story with me before you shared your, your, the CBC story. Right. And, and he was his, what he said, he goes, man, can you imagine like you come back, you know, and you're, you're so open about your story, which is is so cool. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for that. Um, that you know, and, and the lessons other people can draw from it, but you know the 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 fact that you you really had an opportunity to say, you know what, life has been hard on me, and and I I you know I can I can um, I
3: deserve this. I deserve this. All right, you can know, be a victim of it, right? Yeah, or live in a victim mentality, absolutely. Right,
1: and then he he said, but he chose not to. You know, this is my father. Are texting back and forth? He goes, can you imagine? Like like and and and, and we had this conversation, and it was like it would be easy to, to, to be a victim and people would understand right? But you first. Saw oh, it, yeah. It was not. I have this awesome. This is
3: a great sob story. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And you, but you chose not to and you chose to turn turn it into a passion. And, and you're, you're, I can tell you're a very passionate person. But like, you know, wh- what was the process of doing that? Like, was it was it literally like you just figured it out or, you know, I mean, I had to get alcohol in your life because obviously that was that wasn't helping you. That was dragging you down. Um, and then you'd show a picture in the article or you, you share a picture where, you, you know, you're a fit guy. I was just talking earlier about seeing you run um, and but you were you got pretty heavy. And
3: oh, I was 200 pounds by the time I left the service. Wow. And I wow. walk around right now at one hundred ninety pounds.
1: Right.
3: I joined I joined the military at about two 215. I was young. I was a football player, linebacker, but I was like mm. 215, 220 in shape. Um, and yeah, it's it just the amount of medication they had put me on stole everything from me. Stole my physical fitness. It's, it stole my, 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 my brain. It stole my manhood. Couldn't even get an erection. Like, and I just was, and it just, I fell further and further into my, my addictions, into my addiction uh, of alcohol. And, you know, I was predisposed to it as well. My father uh, passed away um, when I was young as well. Uh, He left us for the bottle and, uh, you know, my, my whole life, I didn't want to be that. And I ended up being that. Mm -hmm. And that was a big thing for me to turn around and look at and go, what, 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 they? And, then, and then I, and then I had a little boy come into my life and I just see myself in that kid. And I'm like, fuck, yeah. I can't, I gotta be better than all the people that failed me. Mm. So it's, it's that,
1: that,
3: that really helped, that really helped me.
1: It's amazing what being, a, we can, all, all three of us can relate to being a father. And it's, mm. it's amazing how, how powerful that is. Hey, eh?
3: oh, it's, it's, there's nothing in this world And there's nothing more important in this world than being a parent. You're literally sculpting a human and whether they're gonna be a good human or a bad human, like you're literally turning them into what they will be uh, in the future. And, you know, we don't, we, a lot of us don't understand that we don't, we don't realize that they're just sucking up everything that you're, you're putting out and all this negativity that's out there in the world right now. And mom and dad are continuously glued to their fucking phones and the kids are seeing it. And yeah. it's just like, we're, we're in, we're in for a world to hurt in a few, in, in a few years. I can tell you that much. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast
0: Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry
3: forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast
2: app.
1: I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. You decided to do something positive, though, right? I did.
3: Oh, what? Yeah. When that was it because of that, because I was like, man, this stuff is, you know, it was it was getting bad. It was like the negativity out there. Like, so I decided, you know what, man, this isn't me. This I've come too far to allow myself to go back. And, you know, we went into the pandemic and I was already uh, two years sober. Thank God. Because I, I, you know, I don't know what that would I mean. They kept the liquor stores open during a pandemic. Like That to me is, again, we talk about leadership. Uh, I don't know that our politicians have any, but anyway.
1: Essential service. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Essential yeah. service, right? Yeah, right on. Go, go eat some right? smoke, smoke darts during a, a pandemic where it affects your lungs.
2: Because uh, Patrick was saying, you know, the, the world is built for drinking, or North America is. And he said about negative and positive. If you study media negative media outsells positive five to one so oh, the whole system
3: absolutely
2: it's all negative right so yeah it's it's like people tell me i'm a positive guy and i try but you're swimming against the current out there if you follow social media
3: oh it's, you're absolutely right and it's hard sometimes not to to fall into it because yeah. all you want to do is just I just want to tell that person there's such a bah. And then you're like, I don't know how many times nowadays. I I made a rule for myself. It's okay to read the comments, but you do not comment. You know, you just don't. Because all you're going to do is you're going to leave yourself with this empty feeling you know what i mean like this this unresolved feeling which then just yeah. picks at you at the back of your head
1: yeah
2: so
3: I, I don't bother with it i try not to well i try not even read the comments nowadays because the majority of them don't yeah they're horrible horrible how the, the negativity someone can spit out when they don't have them sitting in front of you you know what i mean oh,
1: yeah. you know you know what i like i've always thought that um you know and I've, i mentioned this to my kids like can you imagine what kind of place you'd have to be in to put a sh- a shitty comment out there to someone else you know like well how and that's it, it that's it, it they're how just horrible humans better like how, yeah oh, they're just hurting there's something wrong with them you know what i mean like i just oh yeah just, they're,
3: they're hurting yeah i mean that's...
1: I, don't, I don't i don't even get it right like i just like i i would you know like i mean i mean like really negative comments i mean it's one thing to have a difference of opinion and you know, yeah yeah you're yeah debate argue, but i'm talking yeah. about people like my son was on a tv show a number of years ago um canada smartest person jr and and oh, people, wow. he was 12 years old and and all these contestants and these kids from all across canada really neat group of kids and they all you know and he got on it on his own on his own his own merit and everything but and they put these these videos out of the kids you know promoting them and stuff and mm. you know people were put like a very small fraction of but there are people putting shitty comments on these oh people. yeah and it's like just for fun just for fun like, of
3: it just because like, they think it's hilarious
1: I was like so I remember I mentioned to my son I cuz I was a little worried like you know I mean he's a very impressionable age and you know still yeah. is and and yeah. buddy like um you know there's some comments and when and he said well hey dad if if you you know and he's joking but he said if you're going to be famous there's going to be haters it's okay oh! was like, you know, so what I realized is I was more worried about it than he is and he could care less and I was really you know it was, it was a proud moment as a father to hear it was like yeah well that's good good wow. on you. good on you so let's cool. talk about this let's talk about the swag we wow we we're, we're wearing, yeah. and and thank you for dropping it off um no I, worries. i bought uh patrick's or um david's shirt um david we, we saw your swag and we both went we want one at all so hopefully you can uh, set us up when when that comes through but what's this absolutely a, talk about the school. When
3: we first started, I, you know, I, 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 needed some sort of like a uniform type, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so I went, uh, to a friend of mine, his name's Andrew Holmes and he started Love Over in St. John I don't know if you guys are familiar with that during the whole, you know, the backlash down the United States and, and, and the BLM and, you know, he, he's just decided, you know, he wanted to do something, but not negative. He wanted to bring in oh, the nice. same idea, spread some love yeah. on some people. And I, I seen that I was like, I got to talk to this guy, you know, I got to go talk to him and tell him what, you know, what I'm, what I'm all about and see if he can get on board. And, and he did, and he decided he was going to create Love Over hunger for us with Mm. operation feed sj on the back and that every every one of them sold he's going to give the money right back to us which is an amazing initiative amazing human being um but we got to a point where you know I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a soldier and I feel that the, the objective that we're trying to achieve needs, we need to be a little more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I really want people to understand the severity of the situation. So, and we are at war, we are legitimately at war with hunger and poverty. And I felt like, you know, I didn't want to use the term war and mix it with love. And I didn't want it in any way to be controversial. So I decided that we needed to create our own line um, and that we could, you know, be a little bit more, I guess, uh, in control of it and able to make more profit. Fit off of it and uh and I decided you know w-o-h uh, you know in the military we love acronyms so war mm-hmm. on hunger um and my uh my graphic designer sienna potter she's an amazing human being um my partner she uh, come on and her, her skills are unmatchable man she's created this this for us and uh yeah we're gonna run with it
2: so, so- patrick i just but I know both of you are from St. John, and we're not going to fight today. No war, love. <laughs> not going to fight. What's a better city, Moncton or St. John? But, anyways, St. John for the listeners is what, about 100,000 people, more or less?
3: I would say probably closer to 80, but yeah, okay. who knows? Always-
2: and you said we are at war. So, out of 80,000 people, because you're in that St. John market, how many are uh, uh, touched or challenged with hunger? Like, what, just so people well- understand?
3: The national average uh, study that was done by uh, the CBC and the University of New Brunswick in, uh, I think it was 2018, the national average in our country was 14% poverty. Wow. Um, St. John itself was at 22 and uh, like, it's might as well say 23%. And that was prior to COVID. So wow. that's almost a whole, you know, 10% uh, difference than, than the poorest places outside of St. John. They said something about almost nineteen, eighteen thousand, or eighty. Yeah, almost nineteen thousand families or children living in deep poverty, which is like there's nothing in in the fridge, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Which is kind of insane to think, you know, that we live in a in a modern c- civilization uh, in this beautiful city of Saint John, and it's also located next to what is voted the safest uh, with some of the richest people in, in Canada living in you know yeah. uh, to me that just doesn't seem right so I can only imagine and a lot of the the people that I speak with you know in the school systems where I deliver my food they've said it's gotten immensely worse since since COVID happened um so you know I I, I dare to say I'd, I'd like to see the statistics on it. hopefully someone does a study here sooner than later
2: so how do we win the war what do we do
3: well to be honest with you man my strategy is it's not i don't really believe that we'll ever be able to take that number and change it unless you start you know you'd need the the logistics behind it. You need to get mom and dad out of poverty. You need rehab. You need retraining. It's, it wouldn't, it's impossible, right? So my idea is, is that, well, then we, we, we start with the kids. The kids is who, you know, mom and dad should have their shit together, period. You know, I, I, I have little bit, I have little remorse for mom and dad, but everybody has a story. So, you know, depending, right. Um, But those kids, they don't get to decide. They don't get to decide where they're born. They don't get to decide where mom and dad put their money. They don't get to decide if mom and dad's had trauma or drug addiction or all that. They don't get to decide. They're just kids. And, you know, when little Johnny over here goes to school and then he sees this guy over here, you know, oh, I got an iPad for Christmas. And this guy's like, I don't even got fucking food in my cupboard. You know, mm. that, that's that's not cool, man. That's not equality. Is, I don't even know what that is. That's disgusting. So to me, I feel like in order for us to break that cycle, we really need to get we need to focus on the children. We need to put food in in right directly in the hands of those kids so that, you know, mom and dad. I hope that they want to help, but I, you know, so we, 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 we change the way the kids see us. You know, we, we not only are we feeding them, we become male and female positive role models in the community. So then they see guys that are like, Oh my God, these guys have been to war. You know, I'd like to try to recruit more veterans. These guys are bad, you know, what people consider bad-asses. And then they start maybe idolizing us more than what they idolize. Like I said earlier, you know, the kids are just, they just pick up everything we put down. Right. So maybe the you know, the more we're in the community, the more they see us and and, and and strive to do better, you know, hopefully we can, we can, can do it that way. Um, other than I, I, I don't see how we can other than that is, is, is just give those kids something more to look at, you know, something more positive.
1: Yeah. I, like I, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. Like I, one of the things that I was shocked at, and there was a stat I, I can't, I don't even know what it is, but <clears throat> around food scarcity, and you know, and and just how how prevalent it is, and it, it is a shocking statistic. Like to think that you're not sure where your next meal is coming from, um, and if it's coming, um, and to be a child in that, I just, it's, it's, I agree, it's completely, it's, it's wrong, and it's, it's scary. Um, but, it, you know, you saw that, uh, it was like, what was it, because there's a lot of really good causes out there. But what was it about this mm. particular one that, that um, like, you know, really appealed to you and you wanted to dig into?
3: Well, my friend is a guidance counselor at St. John the Baptist, and we were at the gym one day, and she was telling me about the situation and how bad it was, and you know, they're them taking money out of their own pockets to buy food, and and that's at every school now. I know, I know now, you know, the, every every school has that has that issue, has pockets of poverty, um, but there was five really bad ones in the uptown area: St. John the Baptist, uh, Prince Charles, Prince Elizabeth, Centennial, and Hayes and Wade St. Francis. So, you know, to me, I thought. Uh, there's food banks already set up in the city. So we're expecting, you know, people at the very bottom of the income ladder to get in a cab or in a bus and go access this, that they're only allowed to access once a month. That's just not mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're hurting and the, the price of rent and everything's, yeah, everything's gone skyrocketed. So, you know, what extra money you get, they're not going to want to spend it to go get it, right? So why don't we, uh, you know, in my mind, I'm like I said earlier, like, eh, let's attack the problem right where it is at the school system right so then we can we can ensure we're getting that food in the hands of the the kids because uh mom and dad have to come pick them up or somebody not necessarily mom and dad but somebody has to pick them up there's no buses in the uptown area it's all walking um so to me i'm like all right well let's let's be really direct with it let's let's bring it to the schools um and then i got thinking you know wouldn't it be nice to always have food here wouldn't it be nice to have a food bank in the school so we come we're coming up with an idea we're brainwashing right now or brainwashing bra- brainstorming um about mobile food banks um so you know uh, uh without without um i guess interrupting the school or the infrastructure or the teachers or any of that we can take um if you see a lot like uh, jtr going around the city the big uh, dumpsters and mm-hmm. everybody has these new moving uh containers they sit in your house if you're moving and they load everything mm-hmm. out and pick it up well why don't we take something like that you know insulate it when we keep food bags, my bags of food in it, we drop it right in front of the school. And then we hand out tickets to the teachers and say, you know, you know, who's the most vulnerable, hand these out and tell them they're allowed to access the food bank in front of the school, whatever, a couple, couple times a month. Um, and now, you know, we have these right right there. Then the kids are never going hungry. There's always food there. There's always a bag of food. And our bags of food have 50 plus meals in them. And we've designed them so they're relatively easy to, you know, make anything out of it. You need to boil water or a can opener so if you're you know six years of older you can pretty much make make something to eat or if not you can there's noodles you can i mean i ate noodles crush them up eat them as a kid like it's it's something right um so to me i feel like if we if we can implement that strategy and we we put these mobile food banks in front of the schools and then from headquarters we resupply as they you know they go down then 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 it goes back to well like i said to you before then they 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 learn to trust operation feed sj they learn to know that we're always there to 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 not fail them that the food's always going to be there and then they start going idolizing us you know because nowadays kids aren't even allowed to idolize police officers you know they're told that that's wrong so who are they going to idolize Who they gonna Lebron James like the assholes that make three hundred million dollars to tell the rest of the world how to live? Like no, they they need to idolize community leaders, people that are willing to take action where there is a problem and not talk about it because it'll never get done. Mm -hmm. And I really feel by doing that, we can we can shine some light on these kids.
2: Yeah, no, right. I, I agree with you. There's missing a lot of courage and leadership in in a lot of our communities and society. And this whole, I know we haven't been hit too much woke culture and cancel culture that's plaguing the U.S. Uh, uh, to have role models like yourself, it's it's amazing. Like it, we, we need well, thank
3: more, you very more much, people to step up.
2: So yeah.
1: what? So people that want to learn, like I mean, I, I encourage people to read that article, um, uh, CBC article that we'll post up here because that's it's. Just, There's also a
3: video. Do you see the video as well?
1: And there's no. a video on it as well, I, I believe. Okay. Right, right, right? Yeah, it was
3: like almost eight minute long, like little documentary type thing they yeah. did, which was how, extremely how, well done.
1: How did it feel to just kind of see that in print and the video, like you know? I print. can't even
3: watch it. I can't watch it. Really? I ball. I ball every time I see it. I ball. just it just reminds me of where I used to be, you know. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's hard to watch sometimes. It brings up some old memories, especially with everything with Afghanistan. You know, I try to be as open I can about one well, Afghanistan, my depression, PTSD, anxiety, you know, my mental illness, because so many people hide from that. Which it's not. You're not gonna. You're not gonna hide from a broken arm. You're gonna put your cast on. You're gonna carry on.
0: Yeah. Well,
3: we need to be more open with mental illness because it's not. It doesn't make you not suitable. You know, I, I don't know what the statistics are, but it's a huge number of humans will have some type of mental illness problem at some point in time or another in their lives. And a lot of them won't get over it, you know? So being able to talk about it freely and openly, I think, you know, gets a lot of the stigma out of the way. And especially someone like myself, my, excuse me, myself, that's been, you know, to war. Right. So.
1: Well, and you're right. You're right. You're telling the story. And, and there's something about owning it, right? And make, you know, it's your narrative. You share the story and it must, you must feel like, um, I mean, it's a very powerful story and it's a very brave thing to do. You know, it's oh yeah,
3: you. I told the whole world <laughs> I was an alcoholic and I got PTSD <laughs> Yeah, but I mean that's not that's not what okay. I want people, you know, I want people to think hey, I can do it too, I'm struggling hey, I can get better, hey, that's not this isn't who I am, you
1: okay. know Well, what I was wondering is that on some level is, it must be freeing a bit
3: um, Not really, because I was always open, they just, okay. someone decided they wanted to hear my okay. story, you so know what, anybody, you anybody talk- that stopped me, I talked to them about it
1: How did that happen? Because I, you, I mean, we're just running across each other now. We we don't live too far from each other. We have a mutual friend that introduced us. uh, Uh, And yeah, and and I'm just I'm just curious about. So like that's when you came on my radar, right? And not not that I'm like you know Uber connected with everyone, but I mean you know you generally hear stuff. But there's something that's happened the last little while that your profile is you know kind of being raised, and then. The CBC Canadian Broadcasting Corporation does a, a story on you, and then and then I'm, I'm walking there. and I see your truck. You know, I like it's now. I can, now everywhere I look, I'm seeing. seeing stuff, right?
3: So, <laughs> yeah, man. it feels like that. Yeah, it kind of just all happened out, out of nowhere. It just, uh, I feel blessed. I really do. I feel blessed. Um, I feel that I've been I've been watched over my whole life, and that finally, that uh, you know, it's you know, you got your shit together now. People people need to see what you've done. And uh, I feel like that's what my path is. You know, I feel like that's what I need to be doing. Um, but as for how it happened with the whole interview, like uh, Rachel Crave did the interview. She lives the street over from me. And she said that she, you know, it was during the whole fall of Afghanistan and the crazy pull out of the Americans. So they mm-hmm. they were looking for somebody in, in the local area to do an interview of and what they thought about the whole situation. And I happen to be. She said she just put in Canadian veteran and I popped up with uh, Operation Feed St. John, um, but who knows, right? So, and then, yeah, she she fired me an email over Operation Feed SJ, you know, do you mind having a, a quick chat? And then it snowballed into like, wow, we, we this is going on the national. And we're doing a big, uh, and then ended up doing like three uh, separate recordings. So it was cool.
1: And, then, and yeah. then, you, then you came on The Boiling Point and it really took up.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm, so, it's inter- I'm,
1: stu- I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go.
3: I was just saying I'm super stoked to be here.
1: Yeah,
2: it's interesting because what you're really selling is to inspire change into people that don't have role models or mentors or coaches, right? That's Absol- absolutely absolutely yeah,
3: yeah.
2: It's feeding is secondary, which is awesome, but you're really trying to get people to uh, decide that they've that what they're doing is not enough and, and they want a no. better sword out of life.
3: I want people to realize their potential. I want people to be the best version of themselves that they can be because so many of us are being cut short, and especially veterans. And I want to create an environment where veterans can come and use their skills because, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you, man, I'm not a fan of where the Legion's gone. You know, I really feel that it needs to revamp itself because modern veterans don't want any part of sitting in a hole and drinking. That's Mm -hmm. not what they want, right? So, you know, if I can create a charity where we're giving back to the community that veterans can get involved in and feel purpose and feel, you know, how I feel when I do do what I'm doing, because to be honest with you, man, like that's, you know, I, I'm stealing a little bit there because it makes me feel so good. So if I can get them to come aboard, use the skills that they learned in the service and, and help repair them, man, then yeah, we're, we're, we're on to
1: something. That is cool. So what, what can, um, you know, people listening do? To not, not only learn more, I mean, we can, we'll can we tell them how to learn more about the story if they're interested in going deeper, but but support this or find out how they can contribute in some way.
3: Well, we have a couple of different ways. You can uh, e-transfer money to us at OperationFeedSJ at gmail.com. We also have an awesome website that was built, again, by Sienna Potter, my amazing uh, graphic designer. Uh, She built this all from scratch, www.operationfeedstjohn.com. And you can actually go on there and you can subscribe to one of our... um, I guess we have uh, monthly subscriptions of uh, it's a bronze, silver, and gold, private corporal and sergeant, uh, $10, $25, and $50 a month. Okay. Um, and then it helps us become sustainable because that's the biggest, the biggest hurdle we're having right now is sustainability is getting that money um, to be able to put food in kids' bellies. Right. Um, I, at the beginning, it was more or less, uh, you know, the legitimacy of us. People were like, Oh, who are these guys all about? We're like what's operation feed SJ. But I feel that, you know, we've really proven to the community that we're here, and we're here to stay, and we're here to actually accomplish something and we've given over uh, twenty five thousand meals away to date, so wow. I really feel like you can't argue with that so uh, please go on our website and check us out and donate We just money is our biggest we need money
1: Wait, and the, the other thing I picked up is uh, I don't know if it was in a, a email trailer or it was um, on the article, but something about um, I sound like you needed a support like an accountant or someone to support the back end so- that.
3: We I I did so when uh, when the interview was being done, I was having some issues trying to get my charitable status. I had someone financially back us for our corporation and our, mm-hmm. our not-for-profit and also back us for the charitable status. It was just the logistics side. or the I I I'm horrible with uh, you know, I suffer from ADHD on top of uh, you know, the PTSD and stuff. So it's for me, it's a daunting task to do this type of stuff. And I never, you know, I'm a retired veteran that was set up for life. And now all of a sudden I created a job for myself. So a lot of times it gets really overwhelming for me um, because I'm boots on the ground kind of guy, you know, I'm hands on, let me go, let me go get this done, but sitting behind a desk with paperwork and, and computers, that's ah, for somebody else. But,
1: but you're, <laughs> you're, you're actually talking to two guys who completely understand.
3: <laughs> oh yeah. 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 So uh, I'm trying to surround myself with everybody that's able to, to help me out sure. with that and, and volunteer their services.
1: Smart. So there's a reason Jean Viev is doing what she's so awesome at doing because I completely suck at trying to do anything technical. We would be bumbling along here with this, and I probably would have, you know, forgot to hit record. So like, yeah, totally get it, man. Uh,
3: oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right. Um, so okay. So people know where to find you. And Saint John is S. It's not S T. It's S A I N T.
3: Um. The. Um
1: we'll put, we'll put the it on. Email,
3: there. The, yeah. The email address is operationfeed uh, at gmail.com and our website's the full operationfeedstjohn.com
1: So David, what are you taking away from this conversation? Oh my God.
2: I've got, I've got my pen and paper and um, I think I got to brainstorm with Patrick and Dave Veal because I think there's something we could do. Um, but look, what I got is inspiration. And we were talking a little bit prior to, to to coming online about mentors and all that fun stuff. And uh, if anybody, I think I'll speak for the three of us, sees any value in us being a mentor, please reach out. Because Patrick can't fight that fight alone of trying to inspire young people to do something with their life. So that's what I, I get out of it. Just open eyes, open ears. And you may not even see somebody across the street, down the street, in the same school as our kids that are having issues.
1: I was, uh, for me, uh, that's awesome. For me, what I was, um, I just love how you show up, Patrick. Like, I feel like I've, I feel like I've known you for like, uh, since a kid, you know, like, I feel like we grew up together, even though I'm, I'm older than you. <laughs> but uh, it just, just your story, just the way you tell it and the passion you have. Mm-hmm. And, and we were talking about to someone who talked about, you know, uh, earlier in the interview before, but, you know, the convergence of passion, credibility, and expertise, and it seems like you figure that out. But, Um, you know, and just turn your life around and man, it's very inspiring. Um, So yeah, we want to, we want to, and so anyone listening, I I hope you share this um, if you're Mm -hmm. finding, you know, feeling the same way I'm feeling um and a couple times you're, you're when you're ch- you're talking i'm getting i'm getting goosebumps man so that's uh that's a pretty cool ability to be you know to do that through a conversation well
3: i i and honestly i'd really hope to start doing some public speaking too once things kind of re- the restrictions and, and and get in front of some people and, and just try to you know bring spread the awareness not only with what we're dealing with with the hunger but also mental illness you know it's, it's 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 to me if i can change one person's life and i'm successful you know
1: yeah yeah awesome um yeah, this and and David, um, early at the start of this, we we talked about, um, you know, probably this is appropriate, you know, the, given our conversation um, in about mentorship and that sort of thing. Mm. You you had you, you're you're showing up here, and we appreciate Patrick. I appreciate it, and you've you've been a kind of a rough rough day for you. And are you willing to? Is that something you want to talk about? Because we can end. Yeah,
2: sure. So you know, everybody's got their journey. Uh, my dad passed away when I was in my early twenties. Fortunate enough to have family and friends around, but of course it changed my career. I studied filmmaking and then after my dad passed away, it changed the career. But when you're a young man in your early twenties, you're looking for a mentor and a coach. And uh, there was a gentleman called uh, David Holt. Uh, he had no kids. Uh, he got me onto non-for-profit boards, showing me the way uh, to build a better community. And he kept saying, you know, take care of your community. We'll take care of you. Uh, so hospital boards and and, and the like. And uh, of course, I found out, I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, late September, uh, he passed away at age 71, uh, unexpectedly. So as we're talking, this would have been yesterday. Uh, So it's, you know, it's tough losing a mentor, father figure that has been around for 21 years. Uh, But I'll have to say that, uh, uh, you know, he passed away doing what he loved, which was fishing on the Miramichi, which is fantastic. Um, and, uh, I'm sure he has no regrets, but there's a big hole in a lot of people's hearts that knew Dave Holt who was a mentor to many in uh, my city. So, yeah.
1: If, awesome. If, what enough. I'm so sorry for your loss, brother. Yeah.
3: yeah. Thanks.
1: Likewise. Mm-hmm. So on that somber note, we're going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to end this. Um, I, I imagine we're we're going to talk again, Patrick on the, on the podcast. I hope.
3: Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. so.
2: So I don't want to say a somber note. So I did put a post and I rarely post on LinkedIn. All I wrote is if you have a mentor, stop what you're doing right now, call them and let them know how much you love them and how much they mean to you. Do that now because you may not have that chance, right? Appreciate your mentor.
3: That's a, And, then, you know, that's a beautiful thing too, man. And it is super important because I, like I said earlier, I lost my dad as well, or he left when I was really young and I had a stepdad, but it's, you know, it's never the same. Um, and then, and when I joined the military again, yeah, I, I always, I, I attached myself to who I thought were, yeah. you know, leaders that I could see myself being. Yeah. And there was one man that same thing, man. He, he put his wing around me and taught me so much. And, and it's super important. You're absolutely right. And the development of myself and where I was going. So, and it's so easy for a young man to be, uh put underneath the wrong wing you know mm-hmm. under somebody who's not necessarily a good mentor so i'm happy that you were able to experience that in your
1: life so thank your mentors that's a lesson that's yeah that's it you're absolutely right
3: you're yeah. absolutely right
1: awesome so you don't you don't seem nervous anymore patrick you were saying as we got on you said oh, you know, i'm feeling nervous you like, no
3: no it's usually i start off with a, i'm a basket of anxiety and then i just whoo, coast on out yeah that's that's I can life. relate.
1: i can relate i can relate yeah uh, yeah thanks, thanks for uh sharing your story thanks for making this uh, so fun um man time goes fast for yeah doesn't it minutes. yeah wow and, Crazy. Uh, and like i was going to say we're, we're definitely uh i feel like you're going to come on again and share more of your story uh, at some point hopefully and then we do the three of us got to do a brainstorm for sure if you're up yeah that.
3: i would i would love to and i, I want to say one thank you for having me on this and two i want to say congratulations to dave about his award for the best
0: uh, yeah, uh, run best company match. in canada yeah.
3: that yeah. that's Man, that's pretty awesome. That's, you know, so, you know what? Kudos to you. There's a lot of people out there that probably are happy to have a job that you're their boss.
1: Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. And with that, see, oh, wait, jean Viev. Can you no, yeah. you got to yeah. tell, you got to tell listeners uh, how, to, how to listen, how to listen, how to share all that kind of stuff. Cause I, I,
0: I was thinking you were going to get it. I was thinking you were going to do it. Oh no. Yeah. Not. So to make sure that you catch up on everything, boiling point, best place, head to our website, boilingpointpodcast.com. You can access all of our channels. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and we release on every podcast channel. And then we also release the videos on Facebook and YouTube as well
1: see that's a lot to remember you guys like yeah it is it
3: is
0: (laughs) all right bye everyone thanks for listening to the boiling point podcast remember to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite listening platform to find out more head to our website at boilingpointpodcast.com you can connect with us on linkedin facebook and twitter to find out more about dave vale's work head over to visioncoachinginc.com. Thanks for listening, and make sure to check out our next conversation. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now
3: podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators. But we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my
2: gosh, how did I forget about food?
3: So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's this luck?